0: The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. This means that we donate 1% of our time and 1% of our revenue to conservation. If you want to find out how you or your business can get certified or learn more about the
1: organization, visit fishandwildlife.org. On today's episode, we have Parker McDonald. For those of you who are diligent listeners to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, you will of course know Parker already through his Southern Groundhunting podcast, Or perhaps you've seen some of his deer or turkey hunting episodes on youtube he's one of my go-to guys when i have questions related to water access or kayak setups and we definitely go in depth in this episode into kayak rigging and accessories that'll make the most sense for hunting but also with turkey season underway we start off with a great discussion into what parker has been doing so far some of the trips he's been going on as well as hunting locally and sort of expand into a general discussion that talks about hunting in Alabama versus other states, access strategies, and other turkey hunting topics that you know kind of go outside of just the normal calling strategies type of discussions. As most of you know, I've been using Onex for several years for e-scouting and waypoint management. In the field or at home, I can browse aerials and topos, map my routes, draw lines and waypoints, color code points of interest, geotag photos of rubs, or even what a specific tree I intend on hunting looks like so that I can find it in the dark, say for example. Furthermore, I can download maps for offline use and of course browse public and private land boundaries. Use the code DIY for a discount on an Onyx Hunt membership. If you use that same code DIY at Spartan Forge, you'll also receive a discount. They have their Deer Movement Prediction website which works based on machine learning, but they're also working hard to put in some big improvements and additions in place including things like a downloadable app, a better user interface, more usable displays and graphics options for things like weather forecasts. Uh, and patterns historically. So I'm really excited to see how that service continues to grow.
0: Thanks for being flexible. I had like zero service in Tennessee.
1: Yeah, that's what I figured. Cause I mean, your, your, uh, Facebook messenger notification, like at one point it said like disconnected, like you didn't even have a face in your, your icon. I was like, you must not have any service.
0: I should have killed a bird this morning. I'm kicking myself. I had a shot at 40 yards and he was coming in hot and I just, I didn't shoot because I was trying to get him in in closer because he was coming. I mean, he was committed. And uh, he got to a point behind some trees and just didn't like something. I don't know what it was, but he just turned around and ran off. Hmm. I, don't, I don't think he saw me. I, I don't know what the deal was, but I should have shot him when I had the chance.
1: Yep. Famous last words.
0: Yep. Yep, yeah, it's uh I was thinking about it earlier today. Dave Owens has made the phrase close but no cigar really fitting for turkey hunting.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Don't get to that. I don't know if you watch Pin Hody Project, but he smokes a cigar after every kill or whatever. Oh yeah. But yeah, man, it was a it was a fun fun day anyway. It was heartbreaking but It's all
1: good Well are you going to be Going back there At some point I mean it's not Not super far For you I don't think Maybe it is
0: It's not It's not terribly far And uh I actually went today So all of my areas At home That I That I Know how to hunt That I know There's turkeys at They're all closed Right now Because the water levels Are so high Um And They won't open up Any of the boat ramps Huh and in all those places, I've tried to find, like, little, like, little put-ins that I could just drag my kayak from the road or whatever. And there's turkeys in other places. I just don't – I don't scout them. I don't scout the other places. Like, these are the places that I know, and I I scout, and I know there's turkeys there. And so I was just like – I had the day off today, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go to Tennessee for the day. I'm going next week. I'll be in Tennessee all week, from Sunday night through Saturday. Okay, I have the whole week off, and uh, I hunted there last year, so I killed that white turkey at. And uh, there was a lot of turkeys gobbling, and I mean,
2: there's a lot of turkeys
0: around, and so I just wanted to go back in, and kind of do a, a hunt slash scout, you know, and try to try to make just make sure that there was still turkeys in the area you know right Uh, there were i I probably heard 20 different birds gobbling this morning it was unreal i've never had a morning like that in my life where i've heard that many turkeys gobble. they were just as soon as i turned that motor off um (laughs) in the water i turned the motor off and it was just like they lit up all over the place on every side of me it was crazy
1: yeah, that, that's wild. It's, it's like one of those times when it's like, man, if there's that many birds out here, like, how can I have those days where it's just a struggle fest, you know, when you don't hear anything and it, yeah. it, it feels like there's no birds out there? And then you have a morning like that where it's like, man, they're everywhere.
0: That's the crazy thing. So I was listening to somebody talk about something. Uh, maybe it was, I think it was on the Alabama, like, the wildlife, the wildlife. Uh, agency or whatever it is in Alabama. They posted an article talking about turkey hunting in the places that have a lower turkey population, but the success rate is pretty high. If you can find one that'll gobble, just because they don't all have hens. And uh, I was talking to my buddy Rick Taylor just a while ago. He lives in Tennessee. I was talking to him. I was like, it's almost easier for me when I have one bird gobbling and I can chase that one bird rather than having freaking 20 birds gobbling and you don't know which one is which and you don't know which one is the most killable or, and then you can't make moves because you might spook another group of birds off. It's just,
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: almost harder when you have more birds gobbling, it, as weird as that sounds.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: But it's it's a good I had a good time I mean it's it's like one of those days
1: it happens every
0: once in a while especially when I have that boat motor running because that loud noise right at the you know as the you can just start seeing light over the horizon like every once in a while you have those moorings, or right when you turn it off they're gobbling at the noise and it just lights up the whole the whole forest you know and so Today it was one of those that was like, when I turned this motor off, I they're gobbling. and I turned it off, and sure enough, dude, they just started firing off. It was so, crazy.
1: So it's like the noise, because obviously you got the noise of the motor the entire time you're riding, but then when you kick it off, you get that little you uh-huh. know, like chugging noise as the motor kicks off. That little abrupt change in, in sound maybe is what makes them gobble?
0: I don't know. Maybe they're gobbling the whole time while the motor's on it. I just can't hear them.
1: That could be
0: because that motor's pretty pretty loud, you know. I mean, they may be gobbling the entire time, and you just can't hear it. Um, But, like, today I had – I was on a river, and uh, there was a bird gobbling less than – I mean, less than 100 yards away. And then there was another one gobbling that I I actually had kind of an opportunity at him this morning as well right off the roost. Um, He pitched down he pitched down in gun range, like easily in gun range, but he kind of pitched down into like a little thicket almost. Mm -hmm. Um, Or he was behind the thicket and I couldn't, I couldn't see him. I I heard him gobble down there, but I couldn't see him. And then he, uh, when I finally saw him, he was probably 60 or 70 yards up a hill. And so I couldn't shoot him. And then 10 minutes later is when that other one came, came in. And uh, I mean, they're just, they're just everywhere. It's hard hard to, to choose, especially when you're not used to having an office. Last year, last year at, at my home uh, my home place that I hunt a lot, I heard gobbles on like three days in Alabama on public land, and uh, I killed on two of those days. So my, my odds were pretty good, even though there aren't a lot of gobbling turkeys. If I heard a turkey gobble, my odds were pretty good at killing them. And, uh, you know, it's always a little more difficult when you go to somewhere like Tennessee or, you know, I know up there where y'all are at in the Midwest and the northern states, um, turkeys tend to gobble. Y'all's turkey population is just better. And, I mean, I you wish you had that. I wish I had that at home. But at the same time, like, it's kind of... It's kind of fun, you know. Whenever you just have one gobble, maybe once a week, you you hear a gobble. Uh, it's it's a little more fulfilling, I guess, satisfying whenever you do kill one.
1: Yeah, and I'd say even up here it's pretty scattered, it, especially in areas that have gotten turkey pressure. Because there's some areas where it's just turkey hunting's not really that big of a thing, especially if you're really on the edge of their range. Because you get far enough north, and you know, Wisconsin or Minnesota or whatever, and there's just no birds. So if you get it on an area that's yeah. kind of the edge and it doesn't really get hit that hard, I think that in general, the birds are a little bit more, they're a little less call shy. They're a little bit more killable. They, they gobble more. Uh, but certainly there's areas in the twin cities here that get, you know, I, I don't know if I can compare it to some of the pressure that maybe your WMAs get down South. Cause I've never been there, but it's a lot of pressure and the birds yeah. shut up pretty dang quick. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's, south is weird man because like really our it's an ongoing conversation about how the how the uh population is declining like it's in it's in trouble you know the turkey population but just like the tradition of turkey hunting down here is it's it's pretty incredible like you got like mississippi alabama georgia tennessee like these folks are as serious about turkey hunting as they are about anything in their whole entire life. Like they just, they absolutely live for the sport and like, I'm, I'm not necessarily that, I'm not really that way. I, I like deer hunt and, um, but I'm getting there, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting to where it's like, turkey season is just as much a priority for me as, as deer season is. Um, I didn't start doing it until a little bit later in life. Uh, I think I started, I killed a bunch of turkeys in Texas when I lived there, Um, but it wasn't really the same growing up. It wasn't like it is, you know, hunting Easterns. Easterns and Rios are just so different, man. They're just like, we, we we shot turkeys in Texas because they were corn thieves. They were eating all the corn out of our deer feeders that's why we shot turkeys. I mean, it wasn't like we were going out and, with a turkey vest and yeah, doing an owl and doing all that stuff. You know, we were, we were, we were just going out there to shoot them because it was something to shoot. And I started doing, I started hunting the Easterns when I moved to Georgia and, uh, really got hooked on it that first year. And then after that, it was just kind of like, well, this is just what I'm going to do during the spring, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, it's definitely fun when you get into it for sure. And, and, you know to your point about the south and the culture down there it's definitely you know from everything i can tell it's it's pretty pretty incredible you know how many people have that much of a passion for it you get a few guys up here that are like Shane who you know they're really like a level above everybody else who's out in the woods and they're the guys who are consistently killing birds and when you run, when you run into one of those guys you know um but it's yeah. You got probably ten to one guys who are don't really know what they're doing. Uh, maybe you know they watch right. YouTube or they watch stuff on TV, and but they just don't have the the same level of woodsmanship when it comes to to killing birds.
0: You know, Shane Shane's a southerner too. Yeah, I know. He's a, trans- He's a transplant. Yeah. Anyway. So so I mean, it really is. It's just different, man. Southerners and and man, some of the people down here they could kill a turkey. Like uh, like the people out out in Arkansas, where the turkey population is just really really low, in Arkansas, um, some of those guys that are going out there and killing birds, dude, you can put them anywhere and they'd be able to kill one. Mm-hmm. Like they're they live and breathe it. It's crazy.
1: Would you say that uh, in your home state of Alabama, it's you know above-average difficulty, like with a, within the context of the southern states? Yeah. Um,
0: so in the southern states, I've hunted turkeys in Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama, and Alabama's without a doubt the hardest. Um, I don't know if it's because it's the population is low. I don't know if it's because, because of that. Um, like during deer, deer season, I see a ton of turkeys. I see a lot of longbeards during deer season. So I know they're there. Um, it's just a matter of getting them to gobble, man. Like, they just, they just don't gobble a lot. Um, I killed two birds last week in a, a part of Alabama that has really, really good turkey hunting. And it, I, when I was there, I couldn't believe that I was in Alabama. And you go, you like, you watch uh, um, some of Catman's videos where he comes down to Alabama uh you've seen some of the the hunting public videos uh the not this year but the the past two seasons um and they came out and just put a hurting on the turkeys and they're they're hunting that same that same like stretch of area in in alabama that has a really good turkey population and they they gobble like crazy um i say like crazy they gobble pretty good but then you go up to Tennessee, like I did today, and I just, it's it, it makes you realize why, like, for some people, I guess, I guess in Alabama, whenever I hear turkey gobble, it's like a struck goal, right? Like, it's, yep. it, when, I, when I hear that turkey gobble in my home area in Alabama, I feel like, okay, well, I've had a successful day. When you go to Tennessee or even Kentucky, uh, Nebraska, some of those states like that that have um, loud goblin turkeys, it's uh, a lot of people don't really get anything out of it, you know. In a lot of those states, they if they don't they like it okay, kind of like what you said. They're not real serious about it because it's just it's nothing to go out. and, hear turkey gobble like literally I hunted during COVID season last year I hunted four days a week and I heard turkeys gobble on three days and so like I always tell people you can't just like nonchalantly say oh I'm gonna go turkey hunting today you have to go out at least where I live you have to go out and you have to freaking grind if you want to kill a turkey out there it's it's just not easy, you know? And so I think whenever whenever you go out and grind like that, like that's really what gets it into your blood. You know, That's that, that payoff when you do kill one, it's not like you heard a turkey gobble every single day of the season. You know, it's like I heard one or two birds gobble all season, and here's one. I killed one. Like that's, that's a good feeling. So I guess to answer your question, I think Alabama has a has a decent turkey population. I don't think it's bad, but they just, they, for whatever reason, they don't gobble very much.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, sometimes you should come up to, you know, the upper Midwest and, and hunt with us and see how that compares too. But I, I definitely get the perspective that you're coming from where you get that, like, heightened sense of reward, you know, having to grow, like, the harder you have to work for something, the more rewarding it is. And it seems like, uh-huh. it seems like turkey hunting down there is definitely, definitely fits that bill.
0: It does, man. And like, I'd love, like, it, it's, it goes back to what I said, you know, out in Texas where I was, where I was raised at in West Texas, we had so many turkeys everywhere. It was like, they were just kind of a, a pest, you know, I didn't really get it in my blood cause it was like, Oh, a turkey's gobbling. Great. That means he's going to come and eat the corn out of our feeder. Like it's, it really didn't mean anything to me until I moved to the deep South and, and started learning like, it's not that way everywhere, you know? And now I wish I could go back to West Texas and hear those birds gobble like that and go kill one, you know, that would right. be so much fun. Now.
1: So what do you do strategy wise when you're hunting locally and the birds just aren't cooperating? They're not really gobbling do you have any special tactics that you try and, you know, do you try and hunt them like deer in that kind of scenario? Or do you really get a lot of pleasure from trying to call one in and just, just keep grinding at that until you can make it happen? I
0: just, it's a mixture of both, man. Like I'll, I try to, I try to improve my woodsmanship skills because I think that's probably even more so than with deer hunting. I think it really matters with turkeys and, um, Just knowing like what kind of habitat they want to, they like to be in, um, what kind of terrain they're going to travel, you know, and, and finding the sign, you know, finding the, the scratching and whatever. Most of my, my main tactic with deer and turkeys is going to be the water access stuff. I just, I think that's the most important thing for me because it, it does several things. It gets me away from people pressure more than anything, um, But also, animals just thrive with water around. Like, all wildlife needs water to survive. And so, deer and turkeys tend to stick close to those areas. Um, And so, what I do, like last year, for example, um, I put, geez, I put so many miles on my boots and in my kayak, just going to new places if if the the old faithful places weren't working out i'd get in the boat and travel like i just go and float and try to strike one up you know and it works every once in a while um like i said it doesn't work a whole lot because there's just it's it's tough hunting where i hunt but um i will say there's definitely people there's definitely people in in my area that um, kill more turkeys than i do but there's not a lot there's not a lot of people who hunt this area that kill consistently kill turkeys every year on it i i got i've got one buddy who um I, actually i've got two buddies i was talking to one of them the other day he was telling me uh he's hunted out there for 30 years he's turkey hunted he loves turkey hunting he actually said in that conversation that he lives for turkey hunting and he's hunted for 30 years and I think he's killed two turkeys on this place um he's killed two turkeys in his life I've got another friend who's a call maker he's a great call maker and he's killed one bird in his life on this public land and so it's uh there's just people aren't killing just consistently killing birds and since i've started hunting out there i've to knock on wood to this point i've killed a couple couple birds out there every year and um and that 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 consistency is it works pretty good i think most of it is from just going and going and going and you keep going you know i hunted like i said four days a week last year and just about during the COVID season, I heard gobbles on three days, but I still kept going. And at some point you're going to run into a turkey, you know,
2: <laughs> it yeah.
0: like it's just kind of like the more you go at some point, you're going to run into one. And, um, maybe that's what happened. Uh, but the cool thing is, is that this, that, that season, last season, um, all the birds that i killed in alabama i didn't crawl on them or anything i called them in i called them into the setup and uh that was i mean usually i'll have to crawl on them a little bit uh i'm not against it i'm not against crawling over a crawling over a hilltop and killing it but uh, it's always a little more fun whenever they come into your calls
1: oh yeah for sure yeah i've 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 probably killed as many birds as anything just by getting into the right spot after they've roosted and just kind of knowing where they're going to fly down and just not even making a peep and the birds just fly down and they kind of work their way right into your lap. But it's it's definitely way more fun when you can call them in, you strike them up at 10 a.m. or whatever and get them fired up and he comes in. There's nothing to beat that.
0: I could count on one hand how many times up there. I've actually gotten on a a gobbler on the roost. Um, And I don't know why. It's just, you just don't, you don't hear them a lot on the limb. Usually the bird, most of the turkeys I've killed actually this morning, this morning would have been, geez, maybe my first time ever to kill one right off the roost. I think most of the turkeys I kill are in between between nine and nine and four, probably. Um, I just hardly, and I think it's because of where I spend most of my time at, you know, in my home area, you don't, you can't pinpoint where they're going to roost at. it's kind of like deer, you know, um, hill country, hill country deer hunting. When you're hunting big woods, no ag, nothing really, uh, consistent. It's, it's just like, it's just monotonous really. Mm -hmm. Um, a buck can bed, anywhere in the hill country as long as he's got thick cover he's not gonna the, the likely the likelihood of him bedding in the same bed day after day after day after day is really low because he's got he's got the same thing on every point you know in those big woods as long as it's got thick cover and so turkeys are coming kind of the same way they don't really roost in the same spot and so you can't like if I go to a, go to a spot like the, the chances of actually being able to get on one on the roost is pretty low. Um, but today, just there was just turkeys everywhere <laughs> where I was at today. So um, I had an opportunity to kill one right off the roost. Actually, two different birds I could have killed right off the roost. And that would have been my first one. That would have been my first eastern to kill right off the roost. And, uh, like, most of them are just... Like you said, kind of like what you said, not really – you don't really have one goblin or anything like that, but you just set up in a spot that has good signs. I've killed a lot of birds like that that just come in silent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that quite a bit. And that's a good – it works, man. If you can you can read terrain really well, and like I said, with woodsmanship, you can have – you can kind of uh, – guess really well you know where they're gonna show up at i mean it it really is turkeys are like so dumb the fact that they're so dumb makes them even harder to kill i think because there's not really like a there's not really like a tactic that i could tell you just works every single time um because they just do whatever the heck they want to do all the time you don't you don't really have a this works all the time it's just it's hard to talk turkey tactic because I feel like most of the time I'm just getting lucky.
1: <laughs> I'm just in the right spot. Right. Yeah, it, it's almost, like, embarrassing to say, but, I mean, for several years, I had turkey hunted, you know, without even knowing how to tell the difference between a gobbler and a hen track or knowing what turkey droppings look like or just, like, you know, looking for for uh, strut marks in the dirt, just, like, little things that seem so obvious now. Um, yeah. It, it makes such a big difference. I think that's a skill that... At least around here, I don't think – I think there's, like, a separator of people that have just even, like, that level of of basic skill set and kind of turkey knowledge.
0: Sure, and, like, you talk about that, and uh, I think scratching, like, learning how to identify scratch is uh, is a pretty important thing as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Because scratch is going to be where they're spending time at, you know. Um, there's been, if you find a spot that's just loaded with turkey scratch I mean that's a good spot to just set up and blindfold and you know you're if you're in the middle of the afternoon nothing's gobbling anymore but you found a bunch of scratch I mean that works man it, it really does I think that um, you know like you said with tracks and things like that one of the things that I noticed this past Two, two, two weeks ago, I guess, when I hunted, when I killed the two birds in Alabama, um, I noticed in the area that I was hunting, for whatever reason, that, I mean, there was scratch everywhere, but I noticed a lot of those, like, uh, I don't even know what kind of worms they are. They're like little, they're almost like a hard shell caterpillar looking thing, like a almost like a centipede or a millipede or something like that, but they were everywhere. And I think that may have had something to do too with why there were so many turkeys in that one little spot that I was in and that why there was so much sign, like going into places, you see a lot of, a lot of insects, you know, on the ground. Um, there's things like that, that you, you start to pick up on the more and more you do it and you start noticing like, Hey, last time I killed a turkey there was a lot of this same habitat or same type of bug on the ground or same type of whatever I wonder if that has something to do with why I killed another turkey in this area or, or whatever you know And so um, that's that's just all things that you develop over time the more and more you go the more you start putting those pieces together
1: yeah yeah, I, t- I totally agree and, and I also think something that's helped me a lot is just going out and hunting with people who who have a lot more experience and just know, like every time I hunt with Shane, I feel like I learn a lot because he'll pick up on things that I just wouldn't have known to pick up on. And then I can just uh-huh. add that to my knowledge base. And I feel like just like it's, it's hard to get some stuff like that from a podcast or from watching videos. But when you're actually out like with somebody who you can learn from and you actually have an open mind to pick up on the little things, that's like, That's probably like the best way that i found to like expedite your learning curve with, I guess, not even turkey hunting, but just like a lot of things in general. Yeah,
0: I actually, so on, on my podcast, one of the ways that we started trying to interview people for turkey episodes was scenario based. So,
1: um,
0: I would ask, and I guess I'll say this beforehand. I was not, I've, I've never had somebody Teach me how to turkey hunt, um, and part of that is because of the way that the style that I turkey hunt using the kayak. You have to have a a specific amount of you know gear um, for that kind of stuff, and so I pretty much just taught myself how to do it. Um, but the few times that I have been able to go with somebody who was a good turkey hunter, I always pick up on stuff. But um, going back to the podcast, we started doing a scenario based type questions with with our guests and that's like um okay so you get out of your truck you have a turkey goblin 200 yards up a ridge and you have another turkey gobbling um 100 yards down in a creek bottom which one would you go after and why and um that seemed whenever you can kind of hear people who are way better turkey hunters than me talk about how they break down those scenarios because inevitably we're going to all if you spend enough time in the woods you're going to face that scenario and you'll be able to um while they may not be your turkey hunting mentor you'll be able to kind of bank that scenario of what they did in that in that case and why it worked or um if it's raining tell me a story about a time whenever you killed a turkey in the rain what did you do what did What did the turkey do? Was he gobbling? Um, You know, what did you do in that scenario? That way, whenever somebody's hunting in the rain, they can think back to that that podcast episode that they listened to and said, well, it worked for him. Maybe it'll work for me too.
2: Um,
0: Like I said before, turkeys are almost so dumb that it is their best uh, defense mechanism. But uh, So they're not going to ever do anything all the time But it does help, you know, it's, it's, it's not as good as having a, a one-on-one turkey mentor, but it is, it is valuable for people to be able to kind of put those scenarios in their, in their mind and whenever they face it, you know, maybe it'll work out for them as well.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. So I'm curious to learn, I'm curious to learn more about some of the specifics and the details about some of your water access, because in a lot of the places that I hunt, what I, what I find, I guess, terrain wise and where birds travel and where they roost and all that kind of stuff is if it's farm country, things tend to be fairly predictable and they tend to be, you know, fairly repetitive. I don't get to hunt a ton of farm country, uh, just cause most of the private stuff is, is kind of like locked up and it's just easier to hunt public. But when I'm hunting flatter big woods areas, I've noticed a similar thing to like you in the the hilly big woods where, you know, they don't necessarily roost and travel the same regions every day. And if they're not gobbling, it can be really hard to to keep up with them. But then when I find places that have water, I, I seem to find that very, very often, very frequently they'll roost near water or like right on the edge. And I don't know if that's because when they gobble off the roost, that sound just carries and reflects a little bit better or what all the reasoning is behind that. But it definitely seems to be a theme. And, you know, in theory, being able to get on the water from an access, be able to get in and on those birds, you know, nice and silent from the water not have to potentially, you know, scout or walk a whole bunch in the dark to get to that same spot is definitely pretty appealing. So I want to, I want to pick your brain a little bit on your kayak setup and kind of some of the details about how you do those types of, water accesses
0: yeah for sure i mean just kind of just going by what you said i find that to be the case a lot that turkeys will roost above or close to water now the times when i find them roosting above water is usually going to be a more um stagnant water source um so like you know like a big a big puddle in a creek or uh, or something like that you know a, a creek that's not flowing real fast i find them roost above that I've, I've heard a lot of people talk talk about that um and there's different theories i think one of them is that they just like to hear their poop hit the water <laughs> from the tree uh, i think shane i think shane simpson is one of the people who told me that um i don't know i don't know what the what why that is but it seems like stagnant water tends to be a really good roost location now when i'm when i'm uh hunting on like a a lake or a flowing river i don't see them they'll roost close to the water but i don't always see them roast roost above the water um like directly above it in that same way in my, in my home area that I hunt, they, they, they really roost incredibly similar to deer. Um, as crazy as that sounds like it's almost always going to be on a, some type of like finger Ridge coming off of a main Ridge Mm -hmm. or on, on the downward slope of a main Ridge. It's going to be on some type of point. Um, very similar to how you hear, you know, Dan Infault talk about buck bedding. And another consistent thing is that there's usually a trans, some type of transition area close by, which is very, again, very similar to deer bedding and deer travel. And so for me, the water, it offers a, a really good benefit in that there's traffic on water all the time you got fishermen you've got you know just boaters if you're on a lake you've got recreational boaters they're used to those animals are used to traffic being on the waterways and the sound of the sound of water to me like if your paddle is hitting water and it's dripping is going to be a sound that's pretty familiar to them the water splashing i mean you got beavers that are pounding their tail on the water you've got um ducks that are you know swimming around the water geese that are diving in the water that splashing sound is not an unfamiliar sound to them so i don't find that it it spooks them very much not nearly as much as whenever i get out of the boat and accidentally walk underneath one yeah um that happened to me this morning i literally i literally got out of my kayak and there was birds gobbling like crazy. I got out of my boat, drug my kayak through the mud and like like it wasn't quiet, you know, but it was it was those more natural noises that they hear. And as soon as I started walking on the land, I busted a hen. I mean she was right there the whole time, but it didn't spook her because that sound wasn't wasn't a you know, a scary sound to her she's used to those kind of noises, but what she's not used to is seeing some big chubby guy in camo walking underneath her, you know, um, like that, that spooked her. The sound of my feet, the cadence of my feet is something that she knows she knew was obviously not, not normal for her. And, uh, and so I get a lot of benefit out of being able to use the kayak to cover ground. This specific area, for example, that I hunted today um it's not a hard foot access it's not hard to get in there by by foot you could park in a parking area and walk about a half a mile and and get right there to it but you're going to stand a chance of spooking a whole lot more animals to to get back there whereas taking the boat around around the the bank and it's a you know it's a little more hassle but i was right there in the middle of birds all morning long because you know i I barely i i was within view of my kayak just about all morning all day really and um you just don't have to walk nearly as far and stand the chance of of spooking game now it is it does offer a huge benefit in other places where you can get into areas that you absolutely can't walk into that's my favorite way to that's my favorite way to hunt. that's my favorite reason to use the kayak is because I. A a lot of these places that I hunt, I can pretty much have to myself, you know, I'm not sharing it with somebody else. I don't have to worry about somebody walking in on me or chasing after the same bird or, you know, spooking deer everywhere or whatever. Um, that's the main reason I started using it in the first place, but there are a few, a few scenarios where it does, Offer a benefit of you just don't have to walk as far and spook animals.
1: Yeah. And the, the biggest challenge that I run into, honestly, is lack of water access. Like, there's a lot of places where it's like, man, look at that great, you know, you could get up right in the water edge and have a perfect setup, whether it's, you know, even outside of turkey hunting, just like deer hunting access, but like, oh, it'd be such a clean way to get in there and hunt that spot, you know, really good wind scent setup, whatever. But oftentimes there's not great like access to be able to drop the, you know, the kayak or whatever kind of boat in. You, you pretty much, you pretty much have your kayak rigged up on a, a like a normal boat trailer, right? So the vast majority, would you say, of the places that you hunt have a boat launch that you could drop your kayak in?
0: Yeah, and I do hunt a lot of places. Um, like my 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 home range area, I. I hunt around boat ramps. I mean, the crazy thing out here in the South is, uh, I mean, Tennessee is a really good example. So if somebody wants to go look up on Onyx at the state of Tennessee and try to find all the different public land areas, just find a lake and there's probably public land around it, whether it be a WMA or Corps of Engineers land. Um, that that kind of stuff is is everywhere. Alabama has a lot of it too, along the rivers and stuff. We have a thing called TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority.
1: Yep. And
0: uh, it's in Tennessee and Alabama. And I mean, if you have a body of water, in a lot of cases, there's going to be TVA land all around it. Um, it's not going to be a lot, you know. It's it's undeveloped land. You're not you're not going to have a whole lot of food plots and you know, stuff like that, and it's going to be, they're probably not doing, like, prescribed burns on it or anything like that, unless, it's, unless it is a uh, uh, unless it is a WMA or a National Forest or something like that, but I mean, really, I find that around Kentucky as well. If you find a body of water, if you, if you can see it from a 10,000 foot view on Onyx, zoom in, and there's probably some type of Public land around it, and those big bodies of water like that usually will have some type of uh, some type of uh, launch launch areas. Whether it be you know a, a gravel like a little gravel slide, or you know um, I've got some that I go to that's literally just a mud pit, and you just pull down to that and slide your kayak in. That's the reason why though I like a kayak. Um, a lot of people like a canoe for the same reason is that you You have a lot of versatility in where you can and where you can go. Um, with a boat, people tell me all the time, like, why don't you just get a bass boat? I'm like, well, like, that'd be great, but I can't get into this area or that area. You know, I've, I've cut down the the amount of places that I can get into pretty significantly. And with the new canoe, uh, I think you're you're using a new canoe, right?
1: Yeah, I just got mine. I haven't even taken it out on the water yet. I ordered it. Okay. So I mean, they're they're back order because of COVID. I think I ordered mine in like June, and I finally got it in like November when we had like yeah. a foot of ice in the lakes. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited to take it I out.
0: Mean, <laughs> when you've got that, that type of kayak, like I said, I put a 2.5 horsepower motor on mine. Um, I'm not getting anywhere like super fast like I would in a bass boat. But if I'm on a big, huge body of water like a lake, I can get pretty far with that little 2.5 horsepower and I can get there pretty quick, you know, compared to paddling. But if I want to hunt a swamp or just a tiny little creek or something like that, I can, I don't have to use a motor. I can just paddle it, you know. Um, I have everything that I would need out of a bass boat and everything that I would need out of a, you know, a little a little uh kayak and so um I do have the ability uh to if I wanted to uh, I, I took my kayak to a place during deer, deer season with uh with my buddy Michael this past year and I put my kayak my new canoe on a cart it's a uh, it's called um oh my gosh I'm gonna I feel stupid. I can't even remember the name of the Just the like one of, of those brand. carts
1: that has big wheels on it, you put it underneath the kayak, and you can roll it around?
0: Yeah, but it is freaking awesome. And this cart is uh, is really stinking cool. And we actually drug that kayak, my new canoe, the F-12, at the time. I didn't have the Unlimited yet. We drug my, my, my F-12 like 400 yards through a muddy cornfield to get to this little tiny Creek and it wasn't bad. I mean, you get a good cart like that and you're good to go, you know? So you, you really do have a lot of versatility. I don't know a whole lot of people that are going to drag even like a cheap, like a sun dolphin that's 40 pounds. I don't, they're not going to drag that 400 yards most of the time without some type of cart. And um, so, I mean, it was, I, I, it was surprisingly easy for me to do that. And so it it is, it's super versatile. You know, I, I really like it. I can use a ramp if I want, but if there's not one available, but there's somewhere, you know, somewhere I could get kind of close to the water, I can use it as well.
1: Yeah. I I had built a, uh, a kayak cart out of PVC and, and just some like eight inch tires from Harbor Freight. And it worked all right on the boats that I used to have. I, I haven't tried it on the new canoe, but I imagine that I can at least use that as a, you know, gauge to see if I need to get something a little bit higher quality or not. But it used to work all right on the canoes and stuff like that when I had to take them a ways down like a, a path to get to the water edge or something. Did you do a video on that? Because I feel like I copied it.
0: No, no, I, I, I didn't.
1: It? I probably copied it off of some video that was already existing on YouTube.
0: Yeah. I did one of those one time with my old kayak and, uh, and it worked, but it fell apart (laughs) and eventually just collapsed.
1: Well, the nice thing about that too, is if you shoot something, then you can pretty much, you can basically use it as a game cart to get it out. You just, you know, balance it over the, over the tires. And I mean, that should balance pretty well as you carry that thing back out. That's something that,
0: uh, is a really good benefit about using, Water access versus just walking in. Um, people think that it's just like oh, it's so hardcore, you know, going out there with your kayak. And there are aspects of it. Being out on the water by yourself in the dark is that's a whole new kind of scary. That takes a long time to get used to. Um, but I mean, when you when you think about it, the people who are the people who are uh, hiking in three miles and dragging a deer out three miles like that they're the real mvp like that is way more hardcore than using a kayak because whenever you using that kayak i mean if you're just paddling into your pretty close to your spot you have a short if you're doing it right you should have a pretty short drag and then the the boat does the rest of the work for you all the way to the truck um like it's pretty easy you know it's not it's not super demanding physically like it is trying to pack a deer out three miles or, or something like that. So, I mean, it really does work. It, it offers a huge benefit when it comes to getting your animal out of the woods.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It, and I used to have, I guess the kayaks I've used in the past, there were sit-ins like they're just, in a whole bunch of ways, not nearly as utilitarian as something like a new canoe. So I'm really looking forward to just being able to like get out of the thing and sit on the edge and not have the thing flip over and, you know, just be able to, to have a little bit better primary stability. And just like you said, be able to throw a whole bunch more stuff and really load it up and not have to worry about where am I going to fit this thing or this thing slides off the edge and then I got to go, you know, repack everything on the or the kayak. Um, definitely I think there will be a lot of advantages there. It is man. I mean, when you
0: when you look at a new canoe compared to other kayaks, you a lot of people, like on these – I was just reading the Facebook forum today it was on one of the Saddle Hunter pages, and a guy was asking about kayaks, and people were like, you spelled canoe wrong. Like, canoe, <laughs> a canoe is way better, you know, for – you can't get a deer out on a kayak and blah, 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 blah. People, you know, most of the time they're probably – correct but the new canoe which is a kayak um it has so much space and so much it's really just kind of a blank slate you know you don't it doesn't have anything like crazy you know like this big huge live well or you know all this stuff like hobie's got all kinds of things that take up space and bonafide has the same stuff where you you don't really have any room to put anything you know and so i really like the new canoe because it offers the benefit of the kayak as you know a a self-bailing sit on top you know it has a hole so it's going to float it's not going to sink um compared to a, a canoe which if you get water in it you just have to pretty much deal with that water until you can dump it out um the new canoe is way more stable than any canoe i've ever been in uh, you can put multiple people in it. It's and you've got New Canoe offers all kinds of accessories and stuff where you can deck it out if you want to, or or leave it pretty empty if you want to. And I I, I tend to keep mine pretty empty because I'm the reason I'm using it is because I have room to put all my crap, you know, um, and a deer or a turkey or whatever. And uh, and it dude it handles it so good. I, that's that's the most impressive. Thing to me, I, I I paddled out several bucks, decent sized bucks, with uh, an old perception that I had, a perception striker, and that thing was built like a tank. But um, I mean, you get out there on a choppy day and you got a deer in the front end of it, and you're trying to paddle. I mean, it's not scary, but it, you know, you can you kind of have to balance yourself pretty good. But uh, I, I killed a buck in Kentucky this year. That was like a 240, 250-pound deer. He was a big body buck. And I was on choppy, choppy water that day coming out with him. And, I mean, you know, you have to be careful, you know, be safe. But I never felt like I was in danger. I mean, it it just – it's almost – the boat handles, you know, almost like it's no different like it's not sinking down, you know, where it feels like there's water about to come in Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I mean, it really handles really well with a whole bunch of weight like that.
1: And, and really, I guess the, the point at which it gets a little bit too heavy is where let's say like the scupper holes, like if you get water inside, they're going to flow back into the water through those holes. But if you get it weighted down enough, then it probably just, you can't really like, you can't really allow that to happen anymore. And it just, you know, at that point it could become swamped. But I mean, that's when you're like six, 700 pounds in the thing.
0: Yeah. And the, so I don't actually, I keep my scupper holes plugged because I'm using a motor. If you're using a motor with the holes unplugged, um, you're just going to get water <laughs> inside. Yeah, like I
1: suppose. the
0: force, the force is just going to push water inside. I actually ruined one of my cameras that way um, because I didn't realize that I had, actually not plug my scupper hole, but um, I'm using the motor most of the time, too, uh, when I have them plugged in like that, when I have the, all the holes plugged, so I'm not getting like paddle drip or anything like that inside inside the boat, so it stays pretty dry when I'm using the motor, and then if I paddle, I just, I usually keep, keep them unplugged, and, and it's good to go. I, I never had any issue with uh, a deer when I'm just paddling, when I have the holes unplugged, I've never had any issue with when I put a deer in it, it, it made it, you know, flood or anything like that. It, uh, which the, the new canoe is, I think the F12 is rated for like 700 pounds or something like that. Um, like it's got a big, huge weight, weight rating. And then I think the, the, uh, unplugged weight rating is over 500, like 550 or something. So, you got a gutted deer, you know, let's just say you got a 200 pound deer, um, gutted. I mean, that'd be a pretty, that'd be an exceptionally big deer. Uh, if he's, if he's already field dressed at 200 pounds, you would have to be 350 pounds for it to, you know, be over that weight capacity. Yeah, and most 350 pounds aren't kayaking into their hunting spots anyway. So,
1: right. um, Yeah. I I just
0: don't think, I don't think that's an issue.
1: I think worst case scenario for me would be if I'm in it, Sam is in it and we either shoot a giant like that or we like shoot two in the same, I guess if that happens, if we shoot like two deer in the same hunt and we got in there together on the, the new canoe it would probably be better to just take two trips back. But, uh, that's like the only couple scenarios I could see where weight wise we'd be kind of pushing it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd probably do it anyway, just for the picture, but, <laughs> but you're exactly right. <laughs> I mean, there are scenarios when, you know, you, you could push it for sure. But I mean, unless you got a big, you know, flat bottom boat or something like that, you're going to be pushing with that type of scenario. You still have the best option, you know, cause you can get two people on. I had me and my buddy Hunter Lindsay on it one day, we were turkey hunting and I had to actually never met him. And real decided to go turkey hunting. I didn't realize at the time he's since lost a ton of weight. But at the time, I mean, he was like, he's like six foot two, like, you know, pushing 280 probably. And I just didn't realize it. And we were going to go out in my new canoe. And I was like, he got out of the car. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this is going to work out. And uh, we both got in that thing. And then uh, I had my motor on it as well. And we were pulling my other buddy in a regular like little baby kayak, and uh, there's a video of that somewhere. But I mean, it, it was sketchy. But I mean, you'd be you'd you'd be falling over in any other kayak just about yeah. trying to do something like that. So um, it it kind of put it to the test for sure.
1: So with the propulsion you're using, is it it's a Yamaha two and a half, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I use the
1: Yamaha. So I've been going back and forth on this and trying to figure out what's the best thing for me to get. And maybe it's just, you know, different, uh, different things for different type of scenarios. But I currently have a 30 pound thrust trolling motor and one of those 60 amp hour lithium batteries. So that's like my nice, you know, quiet, lightweight setup. And without that big, heavy battery, with like a lead acid battery. I mean, that would be always like the pain in the butt piece to, to take out of the truck and hook up every time. But that battery, that lithium one's pretty lightweight. So it's not really that much more of a hassle than it would be just taking one of those, uh, little two and a half horses. Cause I probably wouldn't trailer mine. I would just hang it out the back of the truck mm-hmm. with a red flag and then just put the motor in the back of the truck. Um, cause I, gosh, that's what th- I do now. Yeah, there's some launches. I, guess I got a
0: truck. That's what I thought
1: Yeah, there's some launches. I guess calling them launches is probably being generous. But you got to back at a, you know, severe angle where you're going flat and then it just drops off and you completely lose sight of where the trailer is. You can't see anything and then it winds, wow. you know, through the woods and you're like, "Forget this." So, it's just a lot simpler just throwing the thing in the back of the truck. Um but but anyway, what I was getting to is on places where I have more open water, be it a you a know, larger lake, pond, uh, a river, for instance, it seems like a two-and-a-half horse outboard would be pretty nice because you got the integrated gas tank. You don't got to have a separate gas tank taking up space. Uh, if you had a long trip, I guess you could have a gas can to keep it topped off. But it, it, just, it seems like it has a little bit more speed than the trolling motor would have. You don't have to worry about hitting bottom or anything like that. But then there's other scenarios where you got the shallow Creek and, you know, maybe it's, you know, six, eight inches of like sand or muck. Maybe you got weeds and having an outboard, just you're constantly hitting logs and stuff. I got little creeks and stuff like that, that I'd like to be able to take the kayak into, but you know, an outboard is just, it's just constant maintenance. You're picking the thing up out of the water every five minutes just to keep it running. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have any, Places that you take yours that's like that? Or for the most part, if it's just kind of open water where you don't have to deal with any sort of, you know, shallow water issues?
0: Yeah, so I actually did have a trolling motor. And, um, well, I still do. I have a, another one, but it it's kind of a piece of junk. But I was using a, uh, uh, a Minn Kota. I can't remember what it was. But it actually got stolen um, out of the back of my truck sitting at my house somebody stole it and so I haven't been able to use that but I would definitely use that for that application of uh, you know if I don't have you know if I'm under a mile in a place that has a lot of logs a lot of blowdowns or something like that I just throw that trolling motor on it's quiet it gets me where I need to go um and then I use the the outboard for you know deeper water big lakes big rivers and uh and things like that It, it is I've hunted some places in Tennessee for deer where the water is, I mean, just incredibly shallow. It's just muddy and nasty, and you're constantly having to stop the motor, walk back there, pick it up out of the water, and do all that jump. And it's at that point it's almost just easier to to uh, to just paddle. Right. And so I've I've definitely had those type situations, but. Um, for the most part uh, i will most of the places that i hunt have deep enough water that i can you know get in there with the motor and, and be okay but there' i know a lot some people i've seen some people put the uh, the harbor freight um, mud motor conversion
1: mm-hmm.
0: on on the the f12 yep and so it's just got like that big like long tail mud motor on it And that would be a, I mean, it works, you know, it's like a little five horsepower, which is not that, that would be above the rating five horsepower is above what the boats are rated for, but I've seen people do that where it worked. So I'm not saying I recommend it, but in a situation where, you know, you need to get through some really shallow muddy, you know, duck hunting type stuff, it works for some people to do that. Um, but I, I honestly, I really like a trolling motor. A little, it's a little bit easier, and it's not nearly as dangerous. So that is the main thing about using that outboard motor. That I would caution anybody: make sure you are doing everything safe. It's like wear your wear your life jacket. Make sure you have the kill switch some some in some way, you know, tied off to your life jacket. So that uh, I, I had to make like a big long extension because I'm sitting pretty far forward in the kayak when I'm using that motor um, just to balance out weight. And so I had to make a, a piece of paracord that was super long to, to hook that thing up. But I've had a couple of situations, man, where I'll be going full speed and hit a log that's under the water. And you didn't? I couldn't even see.
2: Yep. It happened to me
0: tonight, actually. Um, and it, I mean, it'll... Yeah, I had one a couple of years ago that scared the living daylights at me out of me. I hit one of those uh, those cypress stumps. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but they look like a they look like a uh, like a gnome hat. They're just like super pointy, and they're the wood is so hard. And if you hit one, like it's not going to give. And I hit one of those that was underneath the underneath the surface of the water, and it threw me completely sideways in the boat like I fishtailed completely sideways threw my paddle out of the water and all kinds of stuff I didn't fall in nothing fell in and I was completely safe but I mean it was dark there was nobody around if I would have fallen in and not had my kill switch hooked up and not had a life jacket on I mean I would have been there's potentially some serious not only is my boat just going to keep going it could keep going and just go in circles around me until that prop hits me right in the head. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's, there's just no telling what can happen with a trolling motor. You don't have to worry about that stuff nearly as much. You're going at a pretty steady pace. It's not going to, you know, if you hit something, it's not like it's going to jolt you, you know, all over the place. It's just going to, you know, it might make you flinch a little bit, but that's going to be about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I like, and it's also a little bit easier to to maintain, you know, the, the thing that I like the most about a, a outboard is what you said. I carry a one gallon gas tank with me and I have that, that Yamaha and I can go as long as I want. I'm not dependent on any kind of battery. As long as I got gas, I can go, you know, and I carry extra with me. So like, uh i tagged out i killed my third buck in alabama this year and i was five miles away from the launch where i killed him at and i mean it was a long trip to get back there but i couldn't have done that not easily with the trolling motor and if i would have if battery died or you know you get a short in a cable or anything like that i mean you're you're paddling back
1: mm-hmm. and that's a
0: long trip to paddle
1: yeah and that motor has that been pretty reliable for you that Yamaha?
0: Oh my gosh. So reliable. I had one situation, uh, last two, two seasons ago that actually ended up working in my favor. Um, I went out one day during bow season and I had a cold front coming through and I was intending to go to my, probably my best area. I've killed more bucks at than anywhere else. And, uh, I get out there and go to crank my motor and it will not start. It just won't start. And um, so I ended up having to change my plans because I was running out of daylight or running out of, I was getting close to daylight. And I I ended up just paddling somewhere a lot closer, but I ended up killing the biggest buck at that time, the biggest buck of my life that day in that brand new spot. And uh, so it worked out in my favor. But all it was was I had just got something in the – like a little piece of fuzz in the – or a little piece of dirt in the um, the jet. And, I mean, there's really nothing you can do about that. But other than that, man, I mean, it cranks up every time. Give it a couple pulls, and it, it cranks up really well. And the thing that I like about it compared to the Honda – so New Canoe actually recommends the Honda. And I do not recommend the Honda because I've seen a lot of people – in dangerous situations because of that honda the honda 2.3 i think is what it is Mm -hmm. is uh it's a good motor i mean honda makes good stuff but it doesn't have a neutral setting on it there's like there's no way to just idle in it it just when you crank it you're going it's it's going in forward motion and uh my buddy Adam Cruz, he he had one, and I watched him one day out in Kentucky. We were out there on opening day of bow season, and it's like four thirty in the morning. It's dark. There's like blowdowns everywhere on this river, and he's like standing in the back end of his kayak, floating, cranking that thing. And as soon as he cranks it, he's going forward, and it about knocked him in the water. Like it's just kind of dangerous, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't like that at all. I I don't even like the fact that a lot of those 2.5s don't even have a reverse. I mean, I have a, I have a little John boat. It's like a 14 foot. It's actually got a lower weight rating than the the new canoe does, but I got a a six horse, like two stroke Johnson seahorse from like 1966. That actually is pretty reliable for, you know, how old it is, but it, you know, it's, it's got four neutral reverse. And especially if we're going through weeds it's like, uh, mm-hmm. I'll get to the point where you can just tell it's bogged down. Like there's a lot of weeds around the prop. I just throw that thing in reverse, just, mm. you know, give it a little gas and it just completely mm-hmm. chops up all the weeds, put it back and forward. And then I'm I'm flying again. And so like you, you, I don't think there's really like a two and a half horse that gives you that option. Is there? Nah, not that I know of. I know
0: my Yamaha doesn't, doesn't do reverse. Um, I've never really had any issue with it uh i could see where that would be an issue if you're getting like real weedy areas and stuff um but i've never i've never really had a need for reverse i usually if i need to go backwards i just paddle backwards you know yeah that's
1: a good point um
0: but because usually if i'm going backwards it's not for a long period of time right you know it's just i need to get turned around or whatever and so i always carry a paddle with me anyways and uh just paddle backwards but having that to having that neutral setting where I can start the boat, I can start the motor and let it warm up, you know, while I'm getting all my stuff ready in the mornings, I can just let it sit there and warm up. Um, I mean, that's really great. Great to have.
1: When you're out on full plane and it's just you and like minimal gear, I mean, what kind of, what kind of speeds is that thing getting you on average?
0: I think it was. Uh, I, I checked it when I first bought it, and I think it was like nine miles per hour. Okay. Um. Yeah, it, I believe it was nine. So I mean, it that's pretty quick. I mean, at full speed. Yeah, you don't want to go that much faster uh, on
1: a kayak. It's you, know, cause you just like you said before with the the issue when you hit the stump. It's like if you're going 15 or whatever, that's pretty hard to pretty hard to stabilize when you hit something going that fast on something that's fairly small. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you don't want to go. You don't want to go terribly fast, and and the nature of what we do with it. You know, if I if I'm running it in the daylight, yeah, I can go full speed pretty much whenever I want. But early in the mornings on water, in in the fall and in the winter time, I don't know if it's that way this way where you're at, but where I live, it's foggy on the water, man. It's like thick fog. Your headlamp, if you have your headlamp on, all you see is white yeah um it does you no good to have any type of light source so if i'm honest i have a safety light on it you know just to be legal and all that but like i turn off my headlamp and a lot of the time i'm just looking at onyx and making sure that i'm staying on the water i'm just using the the little uh feature that shows me the direction i'm going and turn the light off it helps when there's a full moon or you got a lot of bright moonlight but i'm going pretty slow most of the time early in the mornings okay with my motor
1: yeah that was gonna be my next question was lighting if you just used a headlamp or because my john boat i rigged up a couple really bright leds uh, kind of like headlights mm-hmm. but uh really the only purpose of that was just to you know, if you have a log, or if you have like an island and a river coming up, like you can just, you know, see it with hopefully enough time to, you know, throw out neutral or whatever. But yeah, I definitely have had those same type of mornings where it's just, just fog and you got to go slow regardless.
0: Yeah, I've when I first started doing it, I, I've done several different LED bar setups with mine. And uh, it was just always kind of annoying because I'd have to take another battery, um, make sure that battery's charged, and all that stuff. And it was just more stuff I had to worry about. Um, and I just was like, you know what? I'm just gonna use my headlamp. <laughs> like it just—it was just easier. It's just as bright most of the time than anything else. And like I said, I'm almost always dealing with fog early in the mornings. And a big bright light does not make it easy to navigate through fog. It makes it harder. You don't know which way you're mm-hmm. going um, because you're just looking at a white wall in front of you. And so um, now in the evening times when I'm coming back to the truck or back to the ramp, it it it's great to have those big bright lights like that. Um, but for me, it just wasn't worth like, it wasn't worth the amount of, maintenance that i had to do you know sure making sure that i had the battery all set up and and everything every single time i'm my my gear preparation the night before i go hunt is pretty i mean i have to make sure i have a whole bunch of stuff from just to make sure that my kayak i have everything for my kayak plus my camera gear plus my hunting gear and i have it all in order like have one more thing that i don't
1: really need that's why i stopped using it gotcha makes sense yeah and and really to be honest i'd say probably 60 to 75 percent of the places that potentially i could use water access on they don't allow any kind of motorized travel anyway i'd have to be paddling which yeah I mean, at, at that point the new canoe is probably not the most efficient thing to paddle but anything that would be a lot faster and track better is not going to have the same kind of load capacity or stability so trade-off I guess there for sure and the new
0: the new unlimited that they just released for new canoe is way easier to paddle I mean it tracks so much better hmm. um, it, it's just a little more uh, I guess it's kind of like it's kind of like the the what, what is it the pursuit I think it's Like if the pursuit and the frontier had a baby, it's the unlimited there. It's just like, it's a really, this today was my first time actually using it with the motor on it. Um, and it did, it did awesome, but it is definitely easier to paddle than the frontier
1: in terms of just like effort required to get it going or like ease of just tracking in a straight line.
0: Yeah. Tracking in a straight line, it goes a little bit faster. Um, I don't know. I don't remember the specs on it as far as width, but it doesn't feel like you're, um, it doesn't feel like the boat's as wide. So it's okay. just a little bit easier to, easier to paddle.
1: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned your, uh, your filming gear too. it. You've just, uh, finally decided to go full, full mirrorless for your main camera, right? Or have you done well, that in the past? I, I
0: did. I did decide to do that until my lens uh, just went bad. It just stopped working. And I don't know why. Um, but I had I was using the uh, the Sony A sixty three hundred and I had their power zoom eighteen to one oh five lens that works with the the remote with their yep vpr one remote. And, uh, I was, I used it all last turkey season and it was great and did awesome. And, uh, and it, it really ups your quality of footage big time. And you can get a lot of the B-roll stuff without having to carry an extra camera. You just get it all with the same camera. And, um, and it was awesome. Well, I went on the velvet hunt, the Tennessee velvet hunt, um, this past season. And it was like when hurricane Laura came through yeah. and we just had like tornado warnings and all kinds of crap. It was raining all day. And I actually kept it dry. Like I didn't put it out in the rain. Um, but for some, something happened on that trip and that lens just went kaput. Like it just won't work. And, um, the next week I had the, the trip to Kentucky for tethered that I had to do. And, I had to film all that. So I was like, do I want to get this thing fixed or I can right now just easily just go and buy a new handy cam. I just bought the AX 43 from Sony and you know, it does. Okay. But, um, I did that because I could get it quickly because I had to have it quickly. It was going to be a lot faster than getting that, that lens. Yeah. Uh, repaired so i've been using that ever since and uh, i really miss having that that mirrorless it was just so much better
1: yeah i've i've uh i've had to talk myself off the ledge a couple of times looking at an a7s3 i just it, that's a yeah. it's so much money to spend but what you can do with it would just be yeah. incredible
0: it is man i mean when you when you Like I try to get like good B-roll and slow-mo stuff and take good pictures while I'm out, you know, um, and it's just hard to do. You can't do that when you're using a handy cam, um, unless you want to carry around another camera or take pictures on your phone. Like you just, when you have everything, you can do everything with that one piece of equipment that just makes life so much easier. Um, the The bad thing about it is they don't take abuse nearly as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're using when you're using, whether it be a DSLR or mirrorless, when you have the the removable lenses and there's just so many more cracks and crevices that dirt can get into, and then you add the water access stuff. I mean, uh, you yeah, have to make sure yeah. everything watertight. You know, a watertight bag, like it. It's a lot more, I guess, vulnerable to to being destroyed in some way out there, and that was made very clear to me by August of my first deer season using it during that velvet hunt. The August velvet hunt, I, it was already out of commission. So, um, I, I don't know about you, I abuse camera gear like crazy. It's hard to keep it in good good condition when you're using it in the woods like that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely tough. And I mean, for the self filming aspect, I've honestly moved more and more towards things that I can just set up and let record with like minimal effort on my part and just sacrifice some quality. Like, uh, yeah, either you know, the head cams or 360 cameras or just setting up action cams where, yeah, you're going to be able to film like a wide angle shot in 4K and then crop in and you'll get the shot on film. It just won't look as good as it would have on a camcorder. But then you're like mm-hmm. much less likely to ever miss the shot entirely like you could on a camcorder. So yeah, those, those seem, especially like the vlogging aspect, like you can get, I, I figured that really the only biggest advantage of using like a, a mirrorless camera even is uh you get a little more blurry background. You get that better depth of field when you got a good yeah. lens holding it out at arm's length but then the stabilization is always like a nightmare. Whereas like something like a little Osmo pocket or, you know, the pocket two, it's like, yeah, you don't get quite that same level of shallow depth of field, but the thing is steady as a rock and you can plug in external mics and that ends up, you know, the viewers are never going to complain about it. So it ends up just coming down to that, like, look that you're going for.
0: Yeah. And to be honest, if it comes like for me, I don't know if you're like this, but for me, whenever I'm out there self-filming, like the likelihood of me getting the shot on the action camera that I have set up as a second or third angle is a lot better than me being able to get it on the main camera, wow. Like especially when it goes, especially with turkeys, with turkeys, like I rarely get it on my main camera. <laughs> I, I lug that thing around all over the place and I rarely get the shot on the main camera. It's just hard to film. Self-filming yeah. turkey hunt is, like, literally one of the most difficult self-filming things that I think you can do. And I think that's, honestly, I think that's why I didn't kill that bird today. Um, if I were by myself, I would have been able to just sit there and be still. I know that bird had to have seen me do something with that camera. Um, and that's why he, that's why he didn't commit and come in. Um, and if also if I would have been by myself, I wouldn't have cared if he was forty yards or twenty yards. Like that's an effective range for me. I wouldn't be trying to get better footage of him. Which that's the only reason I let it was going to let him keep coming, because I was trying to get better footage of him. Um, like, but most of the time, man, with turkeys, they're just good luck getting them on camera. I don't know how Catman does it, Catman is really good at getting turkey kills on a camera with, with like he'll zoom in on them. Like I don't know how he does it because Joker ain't even using a remote. He's using all the manual adjustments. I don't know how he does it.
1: Yeah. It's a different level of self-filming for sure. I mean, I was even watching one of his videos today and it was like, he had the gobblers like nice and clear on footage. And I'm like, when's he going to shoot? When's he going to shoot? And then he zooms out and it's like, probably 60 yards. It's Like, oh, okay. Like he's just did a good job of filming it. I was like waiting for the yeah. shot to go at any minute, but, uh, yeah, it's gosh, they don't, they're just not forgiving, uh, turkeys and filming. I even think that, especially when you set up on them on the roost, if you're able to, to get one roosted, setting up that camera and like opening up the LCD screen and like getting things ready. Yeah. I think they can just see that glow like off your face of like the LCD reflecting off your face. I think sometimes deer can see that too, when you're in last light. Um, and I don't know that there's really much you can do about it.
0: Yeah. It, it's just whenever, like today, whenever that bird was coming in and I'm adjusting the camera, like you just, if you want to get it on camera, you're probably going to miss opportunities at turkeys. Like with deer, I think you have a little it's a little bit more forgiving because you're elevated in a elevated position. That doesn't mean I always get everyone on camera with deer either, but um, it's so it's a lot easier than with a turkey. Turkeys you're on their you're at eye level, they can they're looking for you because you're making end noises most of the time. Yep. So they're looking in your direction all the time. So when you try to make those little even just a subtle movement, man, it's just difficult it's a whole lot easier i've i've filmed turkey hunts for other people and that's doable like filming turkey hunts is is not super hard if you're filming somebody else or if you have a cameraman doing it but trying to do it by yourself is golly it's a new it's a new level of hard
1: yeah i definitely agree and if i ever were to get a more expensive camera rig for filming i think it would be like probably only used when Sam and I are filming each other. Not, not so much for self-filming for the most part.
0: Right. Right. Exactly.
1: Well, cool, man. I kept you, kept you busy for a good time tonight. It's getting a little bit later out by, by you. Um, so I don't know. Any last second thoughts or, uh, things you want to hit on?
0: Man, I think we covered, we covered a a large variety of topics. Um, but, Man, like I said, you know, turkey hunting is one of those things. If we want to bring it back full circle to turkey hunting, um, turkey hunting is one of those things that if I had to tell anybody anything, it is just keep going and keep going and keep going. And when you don't want to go anymore, keep going. And let the stars align for you a few times. Keep learning about, you know, how, you know, how turkeys move how they respond to certain things where they spend their time at like you'll figure it out and you'll start to you'll start to to uh i tell people all the time i know so many people that are like man i don't know how you kill turkeys or like i've been trying for five years to kill a bird and i just can't do it i'm like you just kill a couple of them and then it'll start coming to you you'll start learning a whole lot of things once you once you kill one or two that first one or two is really hard to get under your belt but once you do that, you just keep going and, and you'll start to figure it out. Like, I that, that's my best advice for turkey hunting is just keep going.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you.
0: Hey man, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I wish you that best of luck time. for
1: the rest of the season. And if you're ever, you're more than welcome to come up and, you know, hunt the Midwest one of these days.
0: One of these days, I will. One of these days, I will be able to work for myself, and decide when and where I want to go, whenever I want to go, as long as my wife says it's okay.
1: That is the dream. So, I want to be
0: my own boss, but I kind of have to come to the realization that I'm never going to be my own boss as long as I'm married. So, and I plan to be married forever. So, <laughs> um, that's my last piece of advice. If you're married. If you want to be the greatest turkey hunter in the world, don't get married. Um, the greatest turkey hunters I know, just they don't have to deal with they don't have to deal with real world stuff. <laughs> they just go <get> turkey all the time.
1: That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes, and if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman and Babette.